electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. I worked closely with Steve Jobs uh-huh. for many years at Adobe. I worked for Bill Gates uh, in the early days at Microsoft, and now I get to see Oracle, and then worked with John and Chuck. Um, <laughs> every company is unique. This week, we're gonna talk about how leaders learn to do it. Bruce Chisholm has the kind of unique executive experience that would fill a book of business school case studies. As the CEO of Adobe, the company that makes Photoshop, Premiere, and more, Bruce mentored his replacement, Shantanu Narayan, and he often sat across the bargaining table from Apple CEO Steve Jobs. That's when I met him as a young reporter in Silicon Valley nearly 20 years ago now. But today, Bruce sits on many boards of directors, most notably the board of Oracle, run by the one and only Larry Ellison. At the same time, Bruce is executive chairman at Informatica. Informatica works with businesses to manage the trove of data they store in the cloud. There, he's working with new CEO Anil Chakravarty on navigating a tricky job. Not only does Anil have to inspire the rank and file, he's got to develop his lieutenants and manage a board of directors stacked with impatient private equity investors. I'm John Fort from CNBC, and you're listening to the Fort Knox podcast, Rich Ideas and Powerful People. I do this weekly, bringing you the highest achievers. We're going to learn how the very best climb to the top and pull out lessons along the way. If that sounds good to you, make this a habit. Subscribe on Apple's podcast app, Stitcher, TuneIn, Google Play. Tell a friend. Now think of this as getting to audit a little bit of a leadership masterclass. Here are Bruce Chisholm and Anil Chakravarty. My job as a mentor is to make my mentee successful. That's the only job I have. As long as I stay focused on that, that keeps the partnership successful. It's not about me. That's about Anil's success, because if Anil is successful, Informatica will be successful, the private equity firms will be successful, and Bruce Chisholm, as an investor, will reap success. I remember the first time, as, as soon as we went private, I became acting CEO, and Bruce, just before he came on as chairman, he came on as special advisor. The day he came on, I was actually traveling, and he sent me a one-line email. And the title was, think about, dot, dot, dot. And the rest of the email was, how I can help you without undermining you. Mm. And he had me at that point. Because, you know, I was like acting. I wasn't sure whether this was going to work. I mean, here's an experienced CEO. He oh. ran Adobe really successfully. He'd been with Permira, our private equity investor, as, as their special advisor for a long time. Were you like, worried that he wanted to run the company? Well, that's, I was like, I, I don't know what his intentions and motivations are, right? right. That's what I was like, how is this going to work? I saw that one-line email, and I said, I can work with this guy, and I can learn from him. And that's, it's really proved to be true. He, he has gone out of his way to make sure that he supports me, 
without undermining me ever, and making sure that our interests are aligned. So essentially what he's done is he first of all looks at me and says, what are you strong at and what are things that you need to work on? And then what he just has expanded my situational awareness, both with the company and with the board, to say, here's what you should be thinking about. And that's what's been really successful. I, I have the benefit of both being mentored by uh, a former CEO, or in that case, CEO and chairman, and being the mentor for somebody that I was trying to help groom to replace me as CEO. Mm -hmm. And then every time I think about how best to help Anil be successful, I think about those experiences. I think about what worked, what didn't work. I remember when John Warnock, who was the CEO of Adobe at the time, announced that I was gonna step up to replace him. He, he was gonna step up to be chairman. And I thought, knowing John, or at least thinking I knew John, he'd be showing up to the office every single day, and the reality is my job would not have changed other than the title. Mm -hmm. Lo and behold, four weeks later, he's yet to show up. <laughs> and in retrospect, I realized what he was doing was giving me room to develop in the role of CEO. And when I work with Anil, what I try to do is keep enough distance to make sure that the employees, the customers, and even the board understand that Anil is the one who is making the ultimate decisions. Mm -hmm. I'm there as a guide. You are listening to the Fort Knox Podcast, and this week, a leadership masterclass. Anil Chakravarti is the CEO of Informatica, and Bruce Chisholm, a former CEO and longtime investor and board member, is Informatica's chairman. How does a new CEO learn from a mentor? How to manage the board of directors? Bruce has played a key role in, in two ways. One is, A, making sure that the board understood what I was talking about and where I was coming from, et cetera. But before we got there, that I understood what they were talking about, where they were coming from, especially since we went private. And we have two big private equity investors, you know, Permira and the Canada Pension Plan Investment Board, and, and, and two strategic investors, Salesforce and Microsoft. Right. I mean, that's dicey right from the first. <laughs> exactly. You got private hey. equity in your living room from the beginning. That's right. And then, but then, you know, it's, they're actually rational animals once you know and you understand their language and once you know what they're trying to get to. Now, they also turned out to be generally impatient, and that's where Bruce, with his combination of being both a, an operator and an investor, has, he's one of those unique people who can wear both hats. And so he has helped really coach me and help me understand what they're looking for. Uh, it's not only how to translate what I'm talking about into terms that they can understand, but the timing and sequencing of what we talk about. I think to me, that's been very valuable. It, it, it's, an easy, it's an easy role for me. I, I've been um, playing with the private equity guys for eight years now. So I've been an advisor for Premier. I've sat on three of their uh, other boards, Ancestry.com, NDS, and Renaissance Learning. I'm pretty good at playing translator. Mm -hmm. I understand what they need at the same time. Because I ran a company, 
I understand what it's like being a CEO and trying to get things done. And I have the credibility with the PE firms to push back when it's appropriate. Mm -hmm. And at the same time, being chair, I get to push back on a kneel when it's appropriate. Yeah. That doesn't sound easy. It's very easy. Um, in part because the PE guys respect me because of my previous successes, both at Adobe, my career at Microsoft, as well as the successes I've had with their other portfolio companies. Mm -hmm. And Anil respects me, I think, for two reasons. One is I'm the boss, but more importantly, he also, I believe, sees those successes. And I think, and Anil could either validate this or invalidate this, I think I push back on Anil when it's absolutely the right time to push back. Yeah. The thing that I found, especially when I started working with PE folks, is PE folks look at a company and, you know, they're very smart people. And they can say, look, if I look, we look across these functions of the company, all of this needs to be at this level. And they go immediately, so right now you're at this level, and, you know, by, by the next board meeting, I want everything in the company to go from this level to that. <laughs> Bruce has a very good way of putting himself then in the operator's shoes and saying, well, Companies don't work that way. You don't go from being average or below average or good at any level, going to great all of a sudden across everything. Why don't we focus on these two or three things? And that's when he'll push back against them. With me, he'll then say, look, for instance, this function here or what you're doing with you know, uh, uh, in the roadmap here or these investments, you can do a lot better than that. And that's the specific pushback I will get on, on from, from Bruce. And that's been very helpful in calibrating and driving. A, a great example, and, and this is, um, I believe, a critical one, is R&D expenditures. So if you look how at if, yeah. how we're spending on research and development, creating the yeah. products. And Informatica is a technically deep set of solutions. Technically deep. And at the end of the day, if you don't have the right products, you will not be successful in this business. Um, the fact that they lead uh, uh, on in every category and Gartner's Magic Quadrant and Forrester's Wave and and as is a testament to their product development capabilities. So I look at that. I look at their R&D spend. They're spending more as a percentage of revenue than what is industry standard. Mm -hmm. And PE's first reaction to that is, well, cut. And my reaction to that is, well, why would you want to cut something that's working so well in an industry where product is everything? We could always cut. I, I, I said, you know. It's kind of the, like you're, you're playing, you're, you're paying LeBron too much. That's right. You're, play, <laughs> right. Exactly. you're paying LeBron too much. Or KD, you know, it cost a lot of money to get him. Was that the right thing to do? I think so. Yeah. Uh, we'll see a couple of days from now. Yeah. But I think so. So, you know, my, my, my suggestion, suggestion to them is, look, let's not add to the R&D capability, but certainly let's not disrupt it and, and minimize it. Um, and of course, they listen to me, and then I go back to Neil and I say, hey, Neil, over the next couple of years, we need to continue to find efficiencies in the R&D organization. Don't cut, but let's not build back up to something without 
finding and discovering those inefficiencies. So, I was curious. When did Anil first decide he wanted to run things? You know, about 10 years ago, I would say. So, you know, um, I, I was working at Symantec at the time. Uh, I, my career, I, was, I did my PhD. Uh, after my PhD, I started working at McKinsey. I was at McKinsey as a consultant for about five years, then got into the tech industry as a very sign, then at Symantec. And then at Symantec, I did have a chance to work with some really, uh, I mean, my, my heroes, folks like John Thompson, John Schwartz, and so on. And I started to emulate them and said, oh, that's, that's really amazing. And you know, folks like that started to give me confidence. You know, I, to say, oh, sure, you should, you should aspire to that. Now, whether the opportunity opens up is a different thing, but you should definitely aspire to that. And, what about them? Made you think that? Well, I mean, specifically, for example, with John Thompson. You know, John has been a great mentor uh, over time. And John's, John's view was, look, uh, John was always very good at taking people out of their comfort zone and putting them in roles where he would say, that's your test to see whether you are really good at a role that's not your comfort zone. You asked where I, so I was in product organizations, et cetera, but he'd asked me to run services for, uh, for Symantec, which was a field role, very people-heavy role, et cetera pushing me out of my comfort zone to see if I could, I could do that. That started to then say, okay, look, I, I can start being more comfortable with other roles. And folks like John would say, oh, then you, you, should, you should aspire, you should plan, and you should think about where, uh, you know, the kinds of roles you want to do. That's when I started to say, I should get a variety of different types of experiences and that could help me do that. That led, one thing led to another, and that's how I ended up in Informatica as Chief Product Officer after about nearly 10 years of that. Anil was an engineer, a technical guy. Now, as CEO, he's got to manage the whole company. How do you start working with other senior executives who, have, who, are, who will be reporting into you, but did not necessarily come from the same background? Now, you need to, as you manage them, how do you manage them essentially with a peer relationship, but when you need to be the first among equals, how do you start doing that? That's, that's the other key skill that, that I had to learn. I'm still learning on that. Right, if the person's thinking, I know more about this than you do. Exactly. And, then, and so that's where, that's where, you know, sometimes they may actually know more. Now, how do you make sure that you set up a common agenda, you're know, working towards the same outcomes? And, you know, in, in many cases, if, if you set up the initial relationship right and you're working with them, that tends to be a great outcome. In some cases, it may not work, and then you have to pull the trigger and make sure that you, you operate differently. At Adobe, Bruce had the opposite challenge. He was a sales and marketing guy coming in to take over for technical founders. I wish I could say it's easy. It's not. When I think about what helped me be successful in doing that, it was taking the time to truly understand their perspective, which meant diving down into the details. Okay, so tell me again why you need to have a different UX or user interface in your product versus the other product. And explain to me why the customer is not gonna be upset about that difference. Mm. And having a rational discussion with that technical individual helped me understand their perspective, also helped them gain the respect for me that I needed. 
So when I had to make a tough decision, they accepted it. If I recall, one of the big initiatives of your time at Adobe was bringing a bunch of different products together that hadn't grown up together. They grew up separately in some cases. They were born at Adobe. In a lot of cases, they were acquired from outside. And the idea was all of these things are going to work together and you'll be able to move your project that you're working on from Photoshop into Illustrator and combine elements and then you know move it into uh, eventually Dreamweaver, move it onto the web, and you'll be able to use you know the same assets many times. Is that the kind of situation where you're saying, well, we don't want somebody moving from you know one kind of toolbox into something completely different, and they're saying, but ours is better. It's hard to believe that a number of years ago, the spell checkers and how they operated <laughs> amongst the different Adobe products were different, and that the icons on the product represented different tasks. Hard to believe that. And what it took for me was to help the technical community understand what the customer experience was. And the way I did that was going out and meeting with customers, and in some cases, dragging them to customer meetings with me so they could experience the customer pain of what they were creating. Because then it's not you versus them anymore. That's correct. Exactly. And the more I did that, the more respect they have for me, and then it became very easy because then they realized I truly understood their domain, their issues, and then I could just dictate what I thought was appropriate. But it took time. It took, uh, especially taking over for two technical founders, John Warnock and Chuck Keschke. Everybody worries when the marketing guy comes in. <laughs> Everybody worries when it's a sales marketing guy coming in with no technical experience. Uh, but once I, I earned that credibility and I earned that respect, then it became easy. And it's the same is true of Anil. One of the things I suggested to Anil, and fortunately he listened to me, was get out on the road. I said, don't get the first, the first few months, spend as much time with the customers as possible so you could go back to the employees and help them understand what they needed to do with credibility. And he listened to me. Yeah, and that really helped on the other front, which is, you know, my, for me, the credibility I needed to build was not with the product organization, but with the sales and the marketing teams. Right. Since this, this just wants to build all this stuff. Exactly, and just throw it over the fence and right. we, we gotta go sell it. Another thing I learned in this conversation, maybe the most important ingredient in two senior executives working well together, learning from each other, they've got to believe the same fundamental things about what kind of company it is and should be. It's all about values. It's about the values of the CEO, and that has to be consistent with whoever the partner is. In my case, the only way that I could work with somebody like Anil, and the only way that Anil is going to be able to work with me and benefit is by having similar values. What we value personally, how we treat employees, how we think about the customer, how we think about technology and products, how we think about the, the eventual outcome of the, of the organization, the exit, uh, IPO, strategic sale, or whatever. Mm-hmm. There has to be similarity there. No different than when I was working closely with Jean It's hard having a COO when you're the CEO 
harder than a chair and a CEO. Why? Because the COO is making decisions every single day. However, the CEO is ultimately accountable. <laughs> so the CEO has to trust that the COO is doing the right thing. And the COO has to know what the CEO needs, what they value, what they require, so they make the right decisions. It seems especially hard because usually the COO wants to be the CEO. That is correct. <laughs> that is correct. I, I, I have the fortune of being on the Oracle board, and I get to watch two CEOs and a very, very active chair uh, work extremely well together for the same reasons I just said. It's about understanding what each of the constituents value, what they need, what decisions they can make on their own, where they have to bring in their colleague. And in that case, I mean, it has to also be a matter of knowing who's ultimately in charge. Who's in charge and who wants to make the decision on specific topics. So I'll use Oracle as an example. It is clear if it is a product strategy decision, Larry Ellison as chair, CTO, and owner of 28% of that company will make that decision. Mark Hurd knows that as CEO, Safra Katz knows that, Thomas Curian knows that as head of products and engineering. They all know that if it's a product strategy decision, Larry Ellison gets to make that call. Here's the part of the conversation that kind of messed with my head. In the business world, there's a lot of talk about corporate values. Lots of companies describe themselves as families, caring places, nurturing the individual. Well, apparently values are important, but not in the way you'd think. You know, I worked closely with Steve Jobs uh -huh. for many years at Adobe. I worked for Bill Gates uh, in the early days at Microsoft. And now I get to see Oracle and then worked with John and Chuck. Um, <laughs> every company is unique. It always fascinated me. I, I wasn't that close to Oracle, nor did I really understand Oracle when I was at Adobe. I remember sitting down with Larry. Somebody said, hey, Bruce, you should think about joining the, the board. And this is uh, uh, almost more than eight years ago. And I remember sitting down with Larry at his home and I said, you know, Larry, I'm thinking, God, I spent my whole, you know, half my career dealing with Steve Jobs. The last thing I want to do is deal with another Steve Jobs-like person. It's, it's hard. And they were good friends. It's hard. And they were good friends. And his persona was what, Larry's persona was what it was. And I said, you know, Larry, I'm not a big fan of enterprise software to begin with. I said, by the way, you have a terrible reputation. I'm trying to figure out why should I even think about joining the board? Why would you want me on the board? And then I spent the next two hours getting to know him, and, and I really liked him. And then when I joined the- Did that the, surprise you? It did surprise me. He, he, he was very uh, self-effacing, very reflective, very thoughtful. Um, I go, wow, that's, and again, you know, dealing with Steve, the only time I got to see that piece of him was one-on-one, -on -one, and that was a you know, nanosecond at a time. It, you know, deep down inside, there was a nice guy in there, but boy, it was tough to get to, uh, and it was hard. And you never knew when it would be turned on, on or off. With Larry, it was like, wow, this is 
pretty interesting. And then I got to know Oracle, his values, how they see the world, is clearly different than when I grew up at Adobe, even at Microsoft, everybody got stock options, it was very egalitarian. Certainly Adobe was very egalitarian. And here I come to Oracle where it is hard driving and you know, the top people earn a lot of money and uh, you know, people in certain roles is like if they come and go, who cares? It's different values. And I get to see how it works, it works. It works, and I, I would say, and then with Steve Jobs, you know, Steve made all of the decisions, and Steve was, you know, impossible many times to be around. I remember showing up at meetings with him, and none of his staff would say anything. It would be Steve, and if Steve wanted somebody to talk, he would point to them, and it was just a different environment. It worked, and it goes back to the CEO sets the tone of the company, it's their values. They surround themselves with people that complement their value structure and complement their style. And then it works. And that's why I think every company is different um, and, and, and based on who the leader is. That makes a lot of sense. And uh, I guess it goes to why partnerships work as well. As you guys said, it goes back to values. Exactly. If, if the two partners value, share the same set yeah, of values. Exactly. I would say Informatica is very close to sort of the Adobe end of the spectrum there. And it's very similar. You could probably tell already by, by, the, by the tone of the interview. But it's very true. We work very closely together, and that's a, it's a similar relationship across the leadership. This is a, this is a company, the, the first six months of Informatica was tough. Uh, the PE guys didn't really understand as much as they probably could have in retrospect. It was a company that had an activist. Uh, who had come into the investor base. Uh, the company, you know, was a great company, went from $200 million to a billion dollars, but never really changed a lot of their business processes along the way, so very siloed. CEO, great CEO, but very uh, uh, directive in his approach. Uh, all, he, he, he wanted, in fact, he was ex-Oracle, uh, which is where he probably learned it from. Um, so, you know, the PE guys took over, no staff, the CEO left, the CFO left, the, C the head of sales was really not committed, the head of HR was really not committed. So it was pretty messy. And, I, you know, I, I, I think despite that, the employees of the company, similar to what I experienced at Adobe, were passionate about what they did. The attrition rate, in R&D, which is what was critical to hold the company together, was less than industry average, despite all of that disruption. And I think that says a lot about the culture of the company, the passion that the employees have for the success of the company. Um, certainly a lot easier getting through that um, difficult uh, uh, turmoil uh, uh, period now it's become a lot easier as the company has, has uh, gained more success. My thanks to Anil Chakravarti and Bruce Chisholm. I'm John Fort from CNBC, and this has been Fort Knox, rich ideas and powerful people. Subscribe on Apple's podcast app, Google Play, or wherever fine podcasts are distributed. Please do leave a review if you enjoyed this. 
Also, check out Fort Knox Live on Facebook, Twitter, Periscope, YouTube. I'm taking your comments and questions, usually Wednesdays at 2 p.m. Eastern. There I tackle some of the most interesting business and economic issues with a little help from my friends at CNBC and from you. Meanwhile, share this. Tell a friend. Drop me a note on Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, or FortKnox.com. That's F-O-R-T-T-K-N-O-X.com. And as always, thank you for lending an ear. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour.